Welcome to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This is where we take a chapter-by-chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam, and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. In each episode, you will hear a short flyover summary for the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse-by-verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern-day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. Alma, chapter 45. This chapter is a junction point that brings us to the end of the record of Alma and to the beginning of the record of Helaman. In fact, as we were told at the end of the previous chapter, Alma chapter 44, and thus ended the record of Alma, which was written upon the plates of Nephi. Well, this phrase, record of Alma, uh, is familiar to us. We've seen it a few times as we've read the book of Alma. Uh, We've seen it in the headnotes, for example, of Alma chapter 7, before Alma spoke to the people of Gideon. Also, before Alma chapter 9, before Alma addressed the people of Ammonihah, we read that that was according to the record of Alma. We read the same phrase before Alma chapter 17, when the account of the mission of the sons of Mosiah began. So from this, we knew that much of what we read in Mormon's book of Alma is taken from Alma's actual record, but not all. This can create some confusion, since as we move to the next item in Mormon's abridgment, it is not to a new book called Helaman. So we would kind of expect that as we come to Alma chapter 45. Instead, the record will continue as the book of Alma, but we do so with the understanding that the chief record keeper from this point forward, or at least until Alma chapter 63, when Shiblon assumes responsibility for the record for a short time, that the chief record keeper from this point forward will be Alma's eldest son, Helaman. Well, it is at this point when it is helpful to remember that this is fundamentally Mormon's abridgment as we're reading the book of Alma. Not only is the book of Alma full of a variety of literary forms in addition to the expected storytelling narrative, such as sermons and dialogues, legal proceedings, ceremonies, quotations from other scripture, patriarchal council, and most certainly letters, it actually comes from multiple authors and records as well. So with the book of Alma, we can see Mormon carefully deciding, and undoubtedly deciding through the inspiration of the Almighty, exactly what authors and literary forms to include in his abridgment, so that it can most effectively come together as another testament of Jesus Christ. What we will see at the beginning of this chapter, then, is something familiar to us from other similar junction points in the Book of Mormon. It is a transfer of records and the exchange of a sacred charge. We saw this in the small plates of Nephi between brothers and sons. In Mormon's abridgment, we saw the same from Benjamin to Mosiah, a father-to-son transfer, and then from Mosiah to Alma at the end of the Book of Mosiah, And that, we can note, was not a familial transfer. wasn't from father to son, wasn't from brother to brother. So, thanks to Alma chapter 37, as we consider this record's transfer, this particular record's transfer in Alma chapter 45 
certainly does not come as a surprise to us, since it was the focus of Alma's words to Helaman on that occasion in Alma chapter 37. It was there that he said in verse 1, And now, my son Helaman, I command you that you take the records which have been entrusted with me. Then later he said in verse 8, And now it has hitherto been wisdom in God that these things should be preserved. For behold, they have enlarged the memory of this people, yea, and convinced many of the error of their ways, and brought them to the knowledge of their God unto the salvation of their souls. Then Alma concluded the chapter, in Alma chapter 37, by saying, And now, my son, see that ye take care of these sacred things, yea, see that ye look to God and live. And that was in verse 47. That particular conversation seems almost to resume here in Alma chapter 45. At least the topic does. We can at least say that much. And in fact, we will see an exchange between Alma and Helaman in this chapter that actually appears to be ceremonial in nature. Uh, Here's kind of how this goes in verses 2 through 8. Believest thou the words which I spake unto thee concerning those records which have been kept? And here, of course, we can think of Alma's words to Helaman that we just recounted in Alma chapter 37. And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. And Alma again said, Believest thou in Jesus Christ who shall come? And he, meaning Helaman, said, Yea, I believe all the words which thou hast spoken. And Alma said unto him again, Will ye keep my commandments? And he said, Helaman said, Yea, I will keep thy commandments with all my heart. Then Alma said unto him, Blessed art thou, and the Lord shall prosper thee in this land. I think we can rightly wonder if this ceremonious occasion was a meeting or a gathering. Perhaps it was even at the temple. It most likely had many similar elements to King Benjamin's records transfer to Mosiah. In fact, as Alma chapter 45 goes on, we do find Alma speaking in a way that may be an analog to Benjamin's temple address. He gave a specific prophecy to Helaman regarding the fate of the Nephite nation before its fourth generation passes away, that, quote, a day of iniquity would come. And when that great day cometh, behold, the time very soon cometh that those who are now, or the seed of those who are now numbered among the people of Nephi, shall no more be numbered among the people of Nephi. But whosoever remaineth and is not destroyed in that great and dreadful day shall be numbered among the Lamanites and shall become like unto them all. Save it be a few who shall be called the disciples of the Lord, and them shall the Lamanites pursue even until they shall become extinct. And now, because of iniquity, this prophecy shall be fulfilled. While this prophecy may have been addressed to Helaman only, we then read that Alma most certainly did address the church more generally. As verse 17 will tell us, And now, when Alma had said these words, he blessed the church, Yea, all those who should stand fast in the faith from that time henceforth. It is at this point that Alma's story ends in Alma chapter 45, in a way that puts him in rare error indeed. We are simply told that after he transferred the records to Alma, offered the above prophecy, and blessed the church, that he departed for the land of Melech. And, as verse 17 says, he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. Mormon will proffer his opinion in verse 19 that Alma was, quote, taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. Well, whether this was the case or not, and we will read commentary on this subject when we go through the text, one thing is clear. Alma's voice is prominent among those of the Book of Mormon who sound from the dust 
and provide a vivid witness of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is hard to imagine the scriptures without the singular example and teachings of Alma. I can add personally that my life has been profoundly affected by this remarkable reformed prodigal, a beloved son of the Father who undoubtedly has gained the privilege of returning to his presence, being robed and ringed and fed with a fatted calf in the fullest meaning of the Savior's parable. I rejoice in this thought. I cannot imagine my life without Alma's ministry and teachings. He is a true scriptural friend. I thank the Lord for Alma. Well, Alma chapter 45 has 24 verses, and I have organized it into several sections. Uh, First of all, we can see in verse 1 that the Nephites pray and fast in gratitude for their victory. So this is with reference to the victory that they just enjoyed, if that's the right word to use, as they came to the end of this battle in the land of Manti, um, when Moroni and his armies, uh, and Lehi and his armies, waited for the armies of Zarahemla to uh, make their way into Manti. So even though this chapter doesn't provide more narrative with respect to the war between the Lamanites and the Nephites, it references the end of the war uh, that has just taken place in uh, chapter 44. Now, in verses 2 through 8, we can see this formal and possibly ceremonial records transfer between Alma and Helaman. And this is where that exchange takes place that I read a moment ago. Then Alma moves into this in verses 9 through 14. He utters a prophecy, and he talks very specifically about the destruction of the Nephites. He is uh, so specific, in fact, as to say that in verse 10, according to the spirit of revelation which is in me, in 400 years from the time that Jesus Christ shall manifest himself unto them, they shall dwindle in unbelief. And then he goes on and talks about their extinction. Then Alma blesses Helaman and his other sons in verses 15 through 17, and then clearly he turns and blesses the entire church. Interestingly, in this section, in verses 15 through 17, he also addresses the land or the earth. In verses 18 and 19, we'll find Alma ostensibly leaving for Melech, but he is never heard from more. So it's in this section that we'll find what Mormon's opinion is as to whether where Alma went, and we'll also read some modern-day commentary on that issue. Then in verses 20 through 22, we'll see Helaman's first act as a leader of the church. And this is an important elision point uh, that will help us move into the next chapter later. Uh, Helaman declared the word and made a regulation in the church, as the verbiage that's used, by appointing priests and teachers throughout the land. Then this final thing is noted— And it's noted from the perspective of the church in verses 23 and 24. And this same thing, which is a dissension, will be noted at the beginning of the next chapter. And we'll look at it through a political lens and find that this is a a very violent dissension that's similar to the dissension of Amlici in Alma chapter 2, but that uh, has implications for basically the remainder of the book of Alma. So we'll read about this dissension that takes place in verses 23 and 24, that not all uh, reacted kindly to Helaman's reforms. We read in the final verse of this chapter that those who dissented grew proud and they were lifted up in their hearts because of their exceedingly great riches. This put them in a state where they would not give heed to the words of Helaman, or the other servants of God, who undoubtedly included Shiblon and Corianton, 
during this time. Well, now to come back to verse 1 for a reading, and actually I'll first read the head note that is provided. It says, The account of the people of Nephi and their wars and dissensions in the days of Helaman. So again, we're at a junction point here. According to the record of Helaman, which he kept in his days. So now Mormon references this record of Helaman. Verse 1, Behold, now it came to pass that the people of Nephi were exceedingly rejoiced, because the Lord had again delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Therefore they gave thanks unto the Lord their God, yea, and they did fast much, and pray much, and they did worship God with exceedingly great joy. So we can pause for a moment and just remember what an incredible miracle it was that the Nephites were victorious against the Lamanites in this sequence of events that transpired in Alma chapters 43 and 44. So that's what's being referenced here. And it's of interest here that the Nephites fasted as a gesture of thanks. Ogden and Skinner have said, Do we sometimes fast solely to give thanks, or are we always asking for something? Note what the Lord has said in our dispensation. Quote, And in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things, and obey not his commandments. That comes out of Doctrine and Covenants section 59, verse 21. Interestingly, President Gordon B. Hinckley once read a letter that was written by a woman who said to him that most of my fasts are thankful fasts. As we're considering this attitude of gratitude for just a moment, uh, here's something also from President Russell M. Nelson. He said, I did not fully appreciate the significance of prayerful greetings until I became a father. Now I sense how our Heavenly Father may appreciate our prayers, morning and night. But I can imagine the pangs of his sorrow because of silence for many of his children. To me, such ingratitude seems comparable to sullen goldfish, oblivious to kind providers who sprinkle food in their bowl. Well, now that verse has provided us with continuity from the previous chapter and uh, this short discussion on fasting and fasting and praying and gratitude. Now we'll move into a focus on this records transfer that will now take place in verses 2 through 8. And it came to pass in the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Alma came unto his son Helaman, and said unto him, Believest thou the words which I spake unto thee concerning those records which have been kept? And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. As we move into this interview, if we want to call it that, um, and I still kind of wonder if the setting was something more ceremonious than this and that there were others present as well. But uh, Elder Carlos E. Acey has said, Alma's interview with Helaman is a classic. It is a short three-question, 45-second exchange between father and son. This short, informative, and inspiring interview must have pleased Alma greatly. Not only had he communicated heart-to-heart and soul-to-soul with his son, but the son had openly declared his faith and pledged his devotion. I wonder if our interviews with our children are as inspirational and building as the one between Alma and Helaman. So thought-provoking. And that was the first question again uh, in verse 2, where Alma said, Believest thou the words which I spake unto thee concerning those records? And of course, that is uh, a reference to what he said to him in Alma chapter 37. And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. Now verse 4, And Alma said again, so here's the second question, Believest thou in Jesus Christ who shall come? And Helaman said, Yea, I believe all the words which thou hast spoken. And Alma said unto him again, and here's the third question, Will ye keep my commandments? And he said, Yea, I will keep thy commandments with all my heart. Then Alma said unto him, unto Helaman, Blessed art thou, and the Lord shall prosper thee in this land. 
And remember that prosperity in the land was kind of the framing concept in Alma chapter 37 as well. Now, uh, here we move into verse 9 as Alma begins to prophesy. But behold, I have somewhat to prophesy unto thee. But what I prophesy unto thee, ye shall not make known. Yea, what I prophesy unto thee shall not be made known, even until the prophecy is fulfilled. Therefore, write the words which I shall say. So I think I've misspoke earlier in suggesting that this may have occurred in front of a congregation. And so uh, a more careful reading of this suggests that when Alma did bless the church, that that would have been on a different occasion because he's saying that this prophecy should remain confidential. And these are the words, Alma says in verse 10, Behold, I perceive that this very people, the Nephites, according to the spirit of revelation which is in me, in 400 years from the time that Jesus Christ shall manifest himself unto them, shall dwindle in unbelief. Before we move further into this prophecy, let's consider for a moment this phrase that Alma used when he said, according to the spirit of revelation which is in me. Here's commentary on this from Reynolds and Sojal. The spirit of revelation that imbued Alma's whole being was the power within him to make known the future and also to interpret the past. The spirit of revelation is the forerunner of prophecy. In fact, they are counterparts, prophecy fulfilling by way of promise what the spirit of revelation makes known. The spirit of revelation was a gift abundantly had among the Nephites. It brought forth many exclamations of heavenly joy and lifted them to higher levels of praise and thanksgiving. The plainness with which Alma prophesied to Helaman was typical of the inspired leaders and teachers who presided over this branch of the house of Israel, transplanted in the new land of promise. No prophecy of God is obscure to those who desire to know the truth. By faith it may be easily understood. It need not be added to nor taken from. We can think of John the Revelator's words there. It needs no interpreter. Prophecy knows only the truth. It does not speak falsely nor foolishly. It is one of the most wonderful manifestations of the Spirit upon the minds of holy men. Now, moving into this prophecy further, in verse 11, Yea, and then shall they see wars and pestilences. So we're talking about the Nephites in 400 years from now. Yea, famines and bloodshed, even until the people of Nephi shall become extinct. Yea, and this because they shall dwindle in unbelief and fall into the works of darkness and lasciviousness and all manner of iniquities. Yea, I say unto you that because they shall sin against so great light and knowledge, yea, I say unto you that from that day even the fourth generation shall not all pass away before this great iniquity shall come. And when that great day cometh, Behold, the time very soon cometh that those who are now, or the seed of those who are now numbered among the people of Nephi, shall no more be numbered among the people of Nephi. But whosoever remaineth, and is not destroyed in that great and dreadful day, shall be numbered among the Lamanites, and shall become like unto them. Now this is a concept that's not foreign to us, since we read of the combining of the Zoramites with the Lamanites in uh, two chapters back. Uh, Then uh, Alma continues, "...shall become like unto them all, save it be a few, who shall be called the disciples of the Lord. And them shall the Lamanites pursue even until they shall become extinct. And now, because of iniquity, this prophecy shall be fulfilled." So the record of Helaman has begun, but Helaman, at the early part of this, and of course Mormon's abridgment, at the early part of this, is providing us with Alma's words directly in this remarkable prophecy. We will see this play out later in Mormon's own record and then in Moroni's own account. 
This is especially evident in Moroni chapter 1, where it says in verses 1 through 3, I, meaning I, Moroni, had supposed not to have written more, but I have not as yet perished, and I make not myself known to the Lamanites, lest they should destroy me. For behold, their wars are exceedingly fierce among themselves, and because of their hatred they put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Therefore I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of mine own life. So that seems to be Moroni's, as in the son of Mormon, Moroni's real-time account of this phenomenon, this time that Alma is prophesying of, when it says in verse 14 that there will be disciples of the Lord, and them shall the Lamanites pursue even until they shall become extinct. So quite a remarkable prophecy. Now in verse 15, And now it came to pass that after Alma had said these things to Helaman, he blessed him, and also his other sons, and he also blessed the earth for the righteous's sake. So, we might guess that this is immediately following Alma's counsel to his sons that is given to us in Alma chapters 36 through 42. It would make sense and be consistent with the way it played out for Father Israel in uh, the latter part of the book of Genesis and also, of course, for Father Lehi, the beginning of Second Nephi, that after giving some counsel to his sons, that at that point he would have blessed them and then we would expect Uh, Alma as father and consistent with this pattern to exit the mortal stage shortly thereafter, which he most certainly does in this uh, particular chapter. And of course here, when it says he blessed Helaman and then his other sons, we have learned so much about Shiblon, and we can think about him and his diligence, and then Corianton, and we're so sympathetic to him and his story. We can think about how they were blessed. Then the end of verse 15 says that Alma also blessed the earth for the righteous sake, so very interesting that he, on that occasion that he uttered a blessing, it seems, to the earth itself for the sake of the righteous. Verse 16, and he said, Thus saith the Lord God, Cursed shall be the land. So here is that blessing. Yea, this land unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, unto destruction, which do wickedly, when they are fully ripe, and as I have said, so it shall be. For this is the cursing and the blessing of God upon the land, for the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. President Benson once wrote something that was very much in keeping with this principle. If we will keep the commandments of God, live as he is directed, and does now direct through his prophets, we will continue to have his protecting hand over us. But we must be true to the eternal verities, the great Christian virtues that God has revealed. Then, and only then, will we be safe as a nation and as individuals, God grant that the faithfulness of the Latter-day Saints will provide the balance of power to save this nation in time of crisis. Now verse 17, And now, when Alma had said these words, he blessed the church, yea, all those who should stand fast in the faith from that time henceforth. So that's the point at which we wonder if he did that, at least, in front of a congregation, somewhat like King Benjamin. Now moving into verse 18, here is, as we would expect, consistent with other scriptural patterns and episodes that are similar between fathers and sons, we would expect Alma to leave the, the stage of mortality. So verse 18, And when Alma had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla, as if to go into the land of Melech. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. So in his very truthful manner, and his very matter-of-fact manner here, as Mormon is abridging this, 
He's giving us the facts as they are known with respect to Alma. Then he provides this opinion in verse 19. Behold, this we know, that he was a righteous man. And the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the Spirit, or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. But behold, the scripture saith, The Lord took Moses unto himself, and we suppose that he has also received Alma in the Spirit unto himself. Therefore, for this cause we know nothing concerning his death and burial. The Book of Mormon Institute manual says this of this account. Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained that the phrase taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord in Alma chapter 45 verse 19 suggests that Alma was translated. Moses, Elijah, and Alma the Younger were translated. Now we're quoting from Elder McConkie here. The Old Testament account that Moses died and was buried by the hand of the Lord in an unknown grave is an error. It is true that he may have been buried by the hand of the Lord if that expression is a figure of speech which means that he was translated. But the Book of Mormon account in recording that Alma was taken up by the Spirit says the Scripture saith the Lord took Moses unto himself, and we suppose that he has also received Alma in the Spirit unto himself. It should be remembered that the Nephites had the brass plates, and that they were the Scriptures which gave the account of Moses being taken by way of translation. As to Elijah... The account of his being taken in a chariot of fire by a whirlwind into heaven is majestically set out in the Old Testament. So here, of course, Elder McConkie is talking about how this meant translation for Alma and how um, it most certainly is the case that Moses was translated because of, of what Mormon is telling us here. And he most certainly had the more pure element with respect to the Old Testament record. And uh, he was taking that fact from the brass plates. Now this from Ogden and Skinner. For unstated reasons, Alma departed out of the land and apparently was taken up or translated as were Enoch, uh, Moses, and Elijah, and three Nephite apostles after him. The prophet Joseph Smith said, Translated bodies cannot enter into rest until they have undergone a change equivalent to death. Translated bodies are designed for future missions. Thus, the purpose of translated beings is to bless future generations of our Heavenly Father's children. Alma must have fulfilled such a role. Of this account, Joseph Fielding Smith has written in answers to gospel questions, The scriptural inference is that Moses also was translated as was Alma. It is a very reasonable thought to believe that both Moses and Alma, like Elijah and John, were translated to accomplish some work which the Lord had in store for them at some future day. Bruce Hammer Conkey also added this thought in Mormon doctrine. Moses and Elijah were translated so that they could come with bodies of flesh and bones to confer keys upon Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, an event destined to occur prior to the beginning of the resurrection. The reason for the translation of Alma has not been revealed. So this incident fills us with wonder and it seems wholly appropriate to us, I think, that Alma would have been translated. He was um, a singular character in all of Scripture and uh, was a prophet on a par with Moses and Enoch and Elijah. Now in verses 20 through 22, our attention turns to Helaman's tenure as the new chief judge, or excuse me, the new chief priest of the church and the keeper of the records. So verse 20, And now it came to pass in the commencement of the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Helaman went forth among the people to declare the word unto them. For behold, 
Because of their wars with the Lamanites and the many little dissensions and disturbances which had been uh, had among the people, it became expedient that the word of God should be declared among them, yea, and that a regulation should be made throughout the church. So we can think about the early part of the book of Alma and how Alma decided to leave the judgment seat and to preach the word. Then later, of course, at the beginning of the Zoramite mission, how we talked about the virtue of the word of God. So this theme is continuing now as we move into Helaman's tenure as the chief priest. He, too, wants to make corrections throughout the church and to shore up these little dissensions and disturbances as they are described in verse 21, and that the word of God is the key for doing this. Verse 22, therefore Helaman and his brethren... So this would be his brethren in the Lord, undoubtedly, but probably also literally his brethren, Shiblon and Corianton, went forth to establish the church again in all the land, yea, in every city throughout all the land which was possessed by the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that they did appoint priests and teachers throughout all the land over all the churches. So that would include lands within Zarahemla that are yet unnamed in the Book of Mormon narrative, and of course those that we're familiar with as well there was an element of regulation that was needed during this time. Lynn D. Wardle has written the following about this verse. In Moroni's day, it was not merely the secular authorities, the generals and chief judges, who established the peace. The high priest of the church, Helaman, worked closely with Moroni to quell dissent. Before the lengthy Nephite-Lamanite wars began, he tried to set the church in order because the dissension that soon were to plague, excuse me, dissensions, plural, that were soon to plague the nation, were evident in the church. Just as Moroni, the great general, prayed and preached powerfully, Helaman, the great prophet, took up the sword and led the army. Uh, And we'll see this later in Alma chapters 56 through 58. The establishment of peace did not merely mean that the Lamanites were defeated, but also that the gospel was widely preached. So I think another way of saying this is that this is a little pause in the action before we move into Alma chapter 46 and come back to the account of these wars. And of course, we talked at the beginning of Alma chapter 43 how it was that we would move into this wartime um, episode as we we come through the end of the book of Alma. But we're offered a little bit of respite here and we're seeing uh, how these dissensions were dealt with from the perspective of the high priest of the church, which was Helaman. So now we're going to read in the final two verses about a specific dissension. And the dissension is not quite uh, parenthetical in the way that it's presented, but pretty close. Because what we'll come to discover very soon is that this dissension was major. And that it was headed by Amalekiah and that it will have, um, it'll send shockwaves and have ripple effects throughout the remainder of the book of Alma and even beyond. So verse 23, And now it came to pass that after Helaman and his brethren had appointed priests and teachers over the churches, that there arose a dissension among them, and they would not give heed to the words of Helaman and his brethren. But they grew proud, being lifted up in their hearts because of their exceedingly great riches. Therefore they grew rich in their own eyes and would not give heed to their words to walk uprightly before God. So this is the problem from the perspective of Helaman, from the perspective of the leader of the church. It's their pride, it's their riches, and they are, uh, as a result, willfully impervious to the effects of the word, we might say. Again, we're about to read more of this dissension as we go into Alma chapter 46. 
So for the time being, this brings us to the end of this little gem of a chapter where we're given the final uh, opportunity in the Book of Mormon to read the words of Alma. And we've been able to read his very specific prophecy, and we've been able to imagine how it is that he was translated like unto Moses. So this brings us to the end of Alma, chapter 45. Thank you for listening to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. I want to acknowledge the resources that have helped me prepare this and previous episodes of this podcast. Grant Hardy's Reader's Edition of the Book of Mormon has helped me with the sectional divisions in these chapters. Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner's verse-by-verse commentary on the Book of Mormon has provided me with rich commentary. I also want to acknowledge a new resource that I've used for the last few chapters, which is the Book of Mormon Study Guide, the revised edition from Thomas R. Valletta. Parallel passages of Scripture and general conference addresses that come to mind also play a prominent role in this podcast, as do my own thoughts and writings. For them and any errors that you find in them, I, of course, am solely responsible. I hope that this podcast has had the effect of drawing you to the scriptural text that is so rich with detail and generous with truths that can help us navigate through our own lives and, most importantly, draw closer to God in our study of His Word. So thank you for listening.